Hello, everyone. Welcome back to What the Deaf podcast. We are so excited to have Michael Anthony Sadie with us today. He is an amazing actor, and he's been acting since the age of nine. He also happens to be one of our really good friends as well. Mm -hmm. That's right. (laughs) And before we dive in to all of our curious questions, we would love for you, Michael, to introduce yourself to our audience and listeners and let us know how you got here to What the Deaf. Well, all right. (laughs) Hello, everyone. I was born hearing, and I lost my hearing when I was four years old. And back then in the 80s, and I don't want to tell you the exact year, so you can't guess my age. (laughs) 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 But um, yeah, so this was back in the 80s. And of course, we didn't have as much technology back then as we do now. But I ended up getting an illness, and it was kind of one of those, uh, am I deaf? Am I not deaf? But I ended up finding out later that there were some tubes inside of my ears that were actually clogged up. So what ended up happening was uh, I was able to hear some sounds, and that was due to me having hearing aids, right? And I started with just one hearing aid on my left ear because in my right ear, I was profoundly deaf. I couldn't hear anything at all. But since then, I've gotten the second hearing aid and it took getting the right doctor that I actually found here in California. And I want to say it's been about two or three years now. And I found out about this doctor through a friend of mine. Uh, My friend told me about this great audiologist, and I was interested. So I decided to make my appointment. I was excited. And the results of that appointment were I actually had a hearing foundation. And so that meant that I was able to hear some noises or some sounds. So I ended up getting that second hearing aid, like I mentioned. And of course, I was only used to picking up or detecting sounds from one ear. So when I had both hearing aids on, I was very disoriented. And of course, it made a big difference, right? And I got used to it, but that's a little bit of my journey. (laughs) It's all a learning experience when you have to put in a new hearing aid, especially when you get older as well. So how did you learn American Sign Language? Because growing up, you were hearing, and then you became deaf at the age of four. So how did you acquire ASL? Uh, Yeah, so I would say everywhere. Well, not everywhere, but, you know, there's some basic signs that people know. And as far as myself, I would say I was more so following English-based signing compared to what may be considered standard ASL structure. So I was in a program, a school program, and this was an elementary school, right? And so I was placed in special education classes. And so I would say those classes weren't fit for me. I never felt like I belonged in that class. So my mom actually fought to remove me from that program and place me in another school that actually was more of a deaf mainstream program. And what I mean is 
there were interpreters, there were note takers. And through that way, I ended up learning more sign language because I come from a hearing family being the only deaf person. And obviously we spoke a lot. Um, Yeah, so I would say I learned more signs um, through high school. And really it was when I went to college, I experienced, I would say, a culture shock. You know, I saw so many different deaf people and hard of hearing people and even hearing people. It was such a sea of diversity and it really exposed me to more visual language, which helped me really improve my sign language, you know. And I would also say that we learn ASL every day. Yeah. It's a continuum. Yeah. During season one, of our podcast, we continue to tell our audience and listeners that there's no right way to be deaf. And now you're sharing your experiences and your upbringing. It's completely different than mine. And that shows our listeners, see, there is no right way to be deaf in this world. And that's what makes our community so beautiful with all the different layers. So I'm wondering, how did you become an actor? Well, I was born to be an actor. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i love that (laughs) well ever since i was young i was always performing in front of my family and i was always performing at barbecues at parties we had a lot of music and i was always watching broadway musicals so i tried to emulate those characters and of course, at home when no one was watching me, but I was always acting in that way. But one day my father caught me and, you know, he told me that I should be an actor. That's what I should do. You know, I always wanted to be a stand-up performer and, you know, that was my passion. It's been my passion for a very long time. But more so as a hidden actor or hidden talent, right? And what I mean is I was never really in the forefront or never had a big role coming up. I was more so a part of what you would call an ensemble cast. So I was in the background performing. But eventually I wanted to challenge myself. You know, I was afraid to speak and I couldn't sing anyway. Um, But I wanted more speaking lines So uh, little by little, um, it happened, right? Now, from elementary to high school, just to let you in on this, uh, I had the same classmates. And of course, favoritism came into play. So they would always select the same group of students to play the same roles. But I decided that I would practice harder. And that's what I did to become ready to audition. I was just ready to get to work. So my senior year, I decided to audition for the uh, musical Crease. And you know, it's a Broadway musical. Uh, It was really, really, really exciting. And it was a big challenge. I ended up getting a coach and we met one-on-one. And finally, uh, my senior year, I would say I entered it with confidence. So I told my drama teacher that I'm ready to audition for one of the biggest roles. And my drama teacher was just taken aback, was really shocked. 
that's in part what got me here. Now, at that time, I was competing against another classmate and everyone expected him to win. And the character was Eugene, who was more of the nerd in the school. And I really felt connected to that character because the parallel that I can make is something similar, me being a deaf person in a sea of hearing people and looked at differently. So I really identified and related to that character. And I said, I can play that role. So that's what I did. I went for it. <laughs> and I got it, right? And during lunchtime in the cafeteria, everybody ran up to see who was selected to play which character and all eyes were on me. Best feeling ever. <laughs> and, you know, the rest is history. That is amazing. How did you get to that mindset? Having that confidence to just show up and audition regardless of the character being hearing or death, like how did you build yourself up as an actor to say, no, I will audition. Doesn't matter the fact that I am deaf. I will still do it. I mean, how did you get to that point? Well, I told myself I could do it. So it was more of a mental thing for me. I just knew it was time. I knew I needed to step out of my comfort zone if I really wanted to become an actor and I couldn't hide anymore. I just couldn't. So I had to step out of my comfort zone big time. And that's what I did. Amazing. <sighs> Amazing. Stepping out of your comfort zone is what makes you grow as an individual. So right. seeing you step out of your comfort zone, that's what made you become the amazing actor you are today. Yeah. And thank you for that. Because, you know, I would say I'm a people's person, um, very friendly, very social. And I love that type of energy. But that never really showed up in my acting. But I wanted it to. Now, I knew that I could do it because in social settings, I was very social and it was high energy. And I knew that as an actor, the world would see me. And that's what I wanted to bring to that. So my senior year was my chance to improve myself and build and grow as an actor. So that's what I set my mind to do at that time. It was time to either break it or make it. And... I remember during my senior year, I had the thought, I know I'm not going to see any of these people after I graduate. So I went for it. And in that process, I, I ended up going to college at NTID in the Performing Arts School. And I was very involved since my freshman years. And it was just beautiful. And that's where I really grew. And not only that, one of my favorite films that I've watched, it's called The Hammer. You, my friend, were amazing in it. And you actually played a wonderful supporting role. What was that experience like? Because previously in high school, it was all hearing people and you were the only deaf individual. And now you went into a film called The Hammer based on a true story about RIT and a deaf wrestler. How was that experience as a deaf actor being a part of a deaf-centered film? Yeah. Well, what I can tell you is that before the hammer, um, I was actually involved with another film and that film really helped me grow even more as an actor. And that's where I met Mark Ruffalo. Right. So he was a director of that film. And at that time, it was one of the biggest films. Right. So. I remember I was called to audition and 
I was auditioning for Mark uh, for the specific role. And I went for it. I went to the audition. And once I got in the room, I knew that it was going to be a challenge for me because it was my first time without an interpreter. So I didn't have that accessibility component. So I was a little taken aback. But at any rate, I still auditioned. I gave it my heart. And Mark recognized that talent within me. And so he told me that he wanted to meet at the coffee shop after we were done filming. And that's what we did. We had a great conversation, and I didn't know who he was at the time, honestly. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> right, right. Um, but Mark told me that he was going to offer me a scholarship to go to the Stella Adler Academy of Performing Arts School in Hollywood. And so I went there for three years, and during two of those years, I ended up meeting so many different people and I learned so much from each of them. And now when it was time to audition for The Hammer, I remember reading about the character and I didn't know nothing about The Hammer at first or who he was or that he was from RIT until after my audition. And so the directors and the producers mentioned that and I said, what? It's from RIT. Oh, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> and they told me that I had the look, but I was black. So the story goes, um, it's based on a true story about uh, Matt Hamill. And so Matt Hamill, he actually has a best friend who is white. So, you know, they told me I had the look, I'm bald, I have the charisma, the energy, I have everything. And so, like I said, I auditioned for it, and the, everybody in the room was in shock. They were laughing, they enjoyed it, and I made an instant connection with them. And I know they spoke with Jay, who's the actual person I'm auditioning for, so I will be playing him. They spoke with him first after my audition. They wanted to know if it was okay. And Jay said, why not? So they gave me the green light to uh, play his role. And from there, I just did That's what amazing. I had to do. <laughs> so you had mentioned that you've been a part of acting since a very young age, but you also mentioned that you started learning about deaf culture in college. So you as an actor, did you feel like you had different responsibilities to represent the deaf community plus yourself as an actor. Was that a challenge for you to kind of figure out where you stood in the deaf community? Do I talk? Do I sign? Where do I fit in? Uh, yeah, well, honestly, I've always been insecure by my, um, expressing myself in sign language. And I always judged myself whether I was doing it wrong or if I was too over the top. And I knew people would criticize me. I knew that. And that's where I had to become more, um, I would say, confident with myself, my ability to sign. Now, as far as where I stand in the deaf community, you know, I said, you know what? Everyone is different. And I just told myself, be you, be yourself, be authentic. Uh, who you are as a person is what's important and how you sign is just that. And, you know, again, like I said, I received some criticism, but 
hey, it, it is what it is. I love this quote that says, if you let other people and their opinions affect you, you bury your skills. So you as an actor, right? I mean, if you allow the deaf community to judge you based on your signing skills and you're insecure about it, that affects your acting skills. And you know that's why you have to have that mindset and say, you know what, that's what you think and that's great, but this is what I'm good at and this is how I'm able to contribute to the acting field. And I think that is so, so powerful. Right, and thank you because I, I learned a lot. I learned so much um, from TV and from movies, from films with different deaf actors. And some of them didn't sign and some did sign, you know, and some actually lead a simcom. It was pretty interesting to me to see the diversity. And I realized that it's okay. Now, there were negative criticisms, but, you know, I chose not to focus on those. And what's highlighted is the deaf actor or actress uh, doing the best job that they could do. For me, I don't talk. I have no hearing capabilities and I don't wear hearing aids. So my deaf identity is totally different than your guys's. And I always tell Sarah, you need to do right by you as Sarah, but also as an actor, as long as you bring the deaf community to the platform. That I think is incredible. Not the responsibility of having to represent every single person in the deaf community, but just letting them know that you're one person within a big community. You got that job opportunity, great, but acknowledge that there are more people within the community who have many different layers. I think that is so important. Yeah. So what has been your favorite role as an actor so far and why? Oh, well, uh, let's see. Uh, My most favorite role, uh, one that I just absolutely fell in love with was... um, It was a boxing short film called The Championship Rounds. Now, in The Championship Rounds, I would say it was my favorite because I felt like I connected with the character, uh, who the character was. And me as a deaf person, the character had the ability to speak. And so that was me. And it allowed me to do both and was beautiful. And so in different scenes, I was signing, I was speaking, but it all depended on who I was with, right? Now, of course, the hammer, you know, it's always been a longtime favorite and I'm always touting the hammer. (laughs) But with the hammer, it was more of a fun role, um, a really, uh, I would say, a high energy role. So I really enjoyed the hammer too. So the entertainment industry has some gaps of making sure that they're providing accessibility for deaf actors. So I'm wondering, have you had an experience on set where it took you back a little bit because they didn't provide the accessibility for you? And if so, how did you handle that situation? Uh, Yeah, so um, what I can tell you is that uh, based off my experience with accessibility, there were some wins. Um, Some people didn't quite hit the mark. you know, as far as accessibility is concerned with me being a deaf person, but some people really did their homework and educated themselves and knew what I needed. Now, some of them assumed I didn't need certain accommodations because they felt that I could depend on uh, my level of hearing or lip reading, and they felt as if I didn't need an interpreter. Now, in the back of my mind, I figured it was because they were just trying to save money because of their budget or 
because they assume that, you know, uh, I don't know, interpreters cost so much or they're so expensive. But really, it was about providing that right resource, which would have been an interpreter. I mean, for accessibility, that's what I would need on set. Now, for me, I feel like um, based off of my experiences, I knew that I needed to start requesting interpreters because it would be challenging for me to communicate with everyone on set. <sighs> Let me tell you, you know, being on set is completely different than being in a one-on-one -on -one environment because everybody is all around you and everyone's communicating and I'm looking here and I'm looking there trying to see who said what and who's speaking which lines. And so there's just a lot going on. And it would be cool if, um, I don't know, I played like a hero role where I could turn my head in a 360 degree rotation and I could catch what everybody is saying, you know? <laughs> that's not reality, but that's what it was like being on set without an interpreter. Yeah, um, what I really hated was what took place behind the scenes. And what I mean is the setup. The director would be so far away and he would try to say something louder to get my attention or to communicate with me. But even if the director did come up, there still would be communication gaps and misunderstandings. I was afraid I would miss information because, you know, lip reading isn't 100% accurate. So what I realized is that I could get some information, but not all of the information. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, also, I hated to rely on my co-stars. And oftentimes they were sitting right in front of me, feeding me what the director was saying. But I preferred to hear it directly from the directors. I didn't want my co-stars to have that burden on them. And as far as accessibility, I knew that I had the power to request what exactly it was that I needed. But also I was afraid to, um, to really be assertive and just say, hey, I need an interpreter because I was afraid they would cut my role. So those are different situations that I had to learn to navigate. You know, back then I wasn't so sure, um, but now and over time I've learned from different actors also that they request what they need. And the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, was a very beneficial tool for me to use to get what I needed on set during filming. I really benefited from that. And, you know, I would venture to say that accessibility is important for all deaf people, hard of hearing people, really anyone with any kind of disability. Everyone has their own unique needs. Absolutely. I feel the same. We talked about this a little bit on season one about my insecurity of reaching out and asking for an interpreter because maybe I won't get the role if I do so. And also, if I don't have an interpreter on set, my job as an actor becomes harder. Yeah. Because I don't feel like I can contribute 100% of me as an actor because I'm always second guessing, like, uh -huh. what did they say? Wait, hold on. Am I doing it right? That feeling of insecurity and hesitation plus no accessibility, it's hard. And learning how to stand up for yourself, but also making the industry realize the importance of having accessibility. And I feel that burden of saying, hey, like, do you mind getting, instead of just standing my ground and saying, hey, I need an interpreter right? to be able to perform my best. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. I can tell you um, one film, uh, I didn't feel like I gave it my all. I didn't feel like I gave a 100% performance with that film. 
you know, it required a lot of fighting. And I'm not talking about the boxing film now. That one was full on accessible. They provided every single thing that you could think of that I needed to excel in that role. It was a really successful film. And because of that, it's becoming a feature film. So I'm excited about that and looking forward to that. You know, the writers, the directors, everyone did their homework. Now, this other one, and as you were mentioning, Sarah, um, about the uncertainties and if you're giving it your all, you know, I feel the same way. I can relate to that. You know, I really criticized my signs because I didn't know if I was clear. Now, for that film, they had an ASL consultant on set for one day. <gasps> one day? One day? Yeah, one day. And that's it. And actually, it wasn't even for me. It was for the young actress who was learning signs. <gasps> was the ASL consultant hearing or deaf? Yeah. Um. So the consultant was deaf. Okay. But wait, okay. But you said that they were there to consult with the hearing actor, not you, right? Right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, again, you would think that the consultants would have been there the entire time that we were filming to, you know, give me feedback about my sons and suggest any modifications. And <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, I have to feel 100% with uh, what I'm putting out there, right? And I know that we're supposed to trust the directors, but again, can I trust the director? Can I trust them with my work? Do they understand deaf culture? Do they know how to work with a deaf actor? So those are all the questions that are going on in my mind. That is so crazy to me, how they can bring in an ASL consultant for hearing people to learn sign language, but they can't bring an ASL consultant for a deaf actor who needs help with sign modifications for their lines because ASL is a language. You need that accessibility to make sure your signing is good with that specific frame for the film. That role is very important. Yeah. Right. Right. That's why the consultant should have been there the entire time to watch my signs and make sure everything looks good. But now I know all the resources that I need to fully excel from here on out. It's all a learning experience for everyone. Yeah. So we saw that you were recognized in the spotlight for National Black Death Advocates. What is it like for you to represent a whole different layer of the deaf community as a BIPOC individual, plus the multiple different identities that you identify with? Yeah, so um, it was a huge honor to be recognized. You know, for to be recognized for the work and my passion and the impact that I was making on individuals within the community. And, you know, as far as just in general with the work that you do or that we do, everyone's watching. And that impact that you make on one person and it spreads to the next five or 10 people, which then goes to the next 100 and 1,000 people. And the numbers just keep growing. And, and in that way, we all are elevated. We're elevating our community. And I would say I received a lot of support and I received a lot of love from the community. What makes me feel good is that I'm representing myself, my authentic self as Michael Anthony Spady. And at the same time, you know, I'm being authentic in my roles and I'm being myself 
and I'm giving it my all, my talents, and the community recognizes that. And I know that it's very impactful and inspirational to the future generations and up and coming actors and actresses. And I know that if they look at me and if they can say, oh, he's doing it, then I can do it. And that's what I appreciate and that's what I love. So that makes me feel good that I'm inspiring future generations, younger generations. And I know that that gives them hope to continue to push and pursue their dreams, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my heart. I love that. That's why I love you and your spirit. Thank you for that. I just appreciate you and all that you are. So with the pandemic that happened and the Black Lives Matter movement, that has had a huge impact on the entertainment industry. TV shows are now starting to spread more awareness with the Black community. I'm curious, you as a Black Indigenous person of color, has your career changed or your experience as an actor shifted after the pandemic plus the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, so with the pandemic, um, I experienced a lot of changes, yeah. So it really got to the point where I was... I mean, I thought I was about to have a heart attack. I, I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what was going on. And with acting, the opportunities started drying up and auditions weren't taking place as much as they were before. So I, I was real frantic and you know, we were still working at the time, but luckily I also had a side job working at a restaurant, but it was a challenge for me because I knew that I ran the risk of getting the coronavirus. So. You know, I was trying to navigate all of that and, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, too. But, yeah, as an actor, I experienced a lot of changes. Um, what was pretty interesting, I would say, about um, that time of navigation was that I was able to sit with myself and be more creative. I was able to think and be more open-minded with ideas and really brainstorm new ways to continue pursuing my work. So yeah, that's what I did. Now with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, there was something that I noticed. I noticed that the communities, um, and it didn't matter if it was a deaf or hearing, but non-Black, Indigenous, and people of color individuals started to post more. They started to recognize um, the Black Lives Matter movement and Black, Indigenous, and people of color actors in a way that they had never done before. And so I wondered, you know, why now? And yeah, you know, there was recognition and more recognition and the numbers were growing and they had been growing, you know, slowly but surely, you know, even thinking about myself. But with everything taking place with the movement, people started paying attention more and focused on the movement and not so much focused on themselves. So, so yeah, that showed a lot more support. So I'm wondering, what can we do as allies to recognize all of your hard work as a deaf Black actor? Um, well, are you ready for this? Ready. Just be you. We need to support each other and elevate each other. I think the more that you, me, all of us support each other, the more that we rise and elevate within the community. And 
I would also venture to say that right now, there's so much division in the entertainment industry. We really need to just support one another and be one united front. We know that the deaf community is a really such a small community compared to the larger society. And if we can support each other within our community, I know that that will spread to the larger mainstream society. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So we'll just continue to be ourselves and continue to support one another because we're all we have and we want to shine that spotlight on positivity and spread love. So we'll just keep pushing for that. What message would you like to share with others who are eager to get involved into the entertainment industry who are also a part of a minority community as well? Yeah, I would say do not wait for the opportunity. Get out there and go get it. You know, roll your sleeves up, have a drink, (laughs) (laughs) and just be assertive and proactive. Be creative, you know, be open-minded, and most of all, be patient. And last but not least, stay golden. (laughs) I love that. I absolutely love that. Thank you for your kindness and your kind words and your wisdom, your story experiences. We really appreciate having you on this show and this episode, this podcast. Your energy is infectious and people will be so inspired by your story. And we can't thank you enough for taking the time to share your life story and open your heart to everyone. And thank you for having me. Uh, This is an amazing opportunity for uh, you as uh, deaf individuals to try something new with the podcast, right? And I would say, you know, people will recognize that and they will see that deaf people can create podcasts. And that's just really amazing in and of itself. And really, it's about being seen. Everything that you have done, it shows that it works for you. You know, you just embrace this new territory. And I believe you did this during a pandemic. And it just really speaks to your creativity with taking podcasts to a different level. If I'm not mistaken, um, I believe you're the first deaf individual to do a podcast, at least from what I've seen. And again, I've just been very impressed with your creativity your vision. And it it just really shows that you all wanted to do this and you just went forward. And also know that it's our time. It's our time to try new things, to be open-minded and to step out the box. I, yeah, I really appreciate that. Oh, well, thank Thank you. you. That means so much to us. Yes. Again, just thank you. And For our audience, do you mind letting them know where they can find you on all of your social media platforms? Oh, yeah. So um, on Instagram, you can find me at M-A, stay gold, S-T-A-Y-G-O-L-D. Stay gold. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, Yeah, and also I'm on Facebook. And you can just search my name, uh, Michael Anthony Spady. And I think that's all. And now for our listeners, if any of you have any questions, go ahead and email us at questions at whatthedeaf.com. And follow us on Instagram at whatthedeaf. Yeah, (laughs) whatthedeaf. Until next time. See you next next week. week. Bye, Bye. everyone. All right. Peace, y'all. We would like to thank dpan.tv and their services at ASLcaptions.com for making the transcripts 
and captions of this podcast accessible for everyone. If you're looking for captioning or transcript services, they do amazing work.